thanks for hitting the snooze button. My name's Neil Headley. I was prepared to write off a literal lifelong battle with insomnia that just being part of the gig when I took on a 30-year career in morning television and radio. Well, I dug a little bit deeper and found out that I had a lot more to learn. So, in this series, we're going to fix your sleep by figuring out why mine is so horribly off the rails and try and stumble upon some answers together. We're gonna do that by talking to the world's leading sleep scientists and researchers. We're also going to talk to celebrities and high achievers, people who have sleep challenges built into their day-to-day experience. We'll figure out the things that work for them on the nights where they have to get to sleep. I'll try those things myself for a couple of weeks and see what works, and I'll fill you in on the details as we go along. Our special guest on the show this week, Diane Macedo from ABC News and Good Morning America. She has a brand new book, it's out today actually called The Sleep Fix. And she's going to be joining us in just a second. A couple of very quick pieces of housekeeping first. The show brought to you by Nexus Web Hosting. Uh, I have, not a word of exaggeration, 12 website projects on the go right now. And step one in every single one of them is booking the server space so that there's a place to put the website when it's actually built. I've arranged a discount for you that oddly enough gets you the server stuff for cheaper than I get it, which At its root, seems kind of unfair, but that's how it all works. So you go to this website, neilsentme.com, N-E-I-L, neilsentme.com. You put in the coupon code there, and whatever your next website project is, it'll save you a whole whack of money, Uh, and and I'm excited to bring you that discount. Also, something else I'm excited to bring you, we're talking about Diane Macedo. We've got copies of her brand new book, The Sleep Fix, to give away. So all you need to do, go to this website, thesnoozebutton.com slash contests, also, you can check the show notes and the details of not only in your podcast app, but on our website as well for this particular episode. Everything you need to know is right there. What it means is signing up for our brand new newsletter or snoozeletter, if you will, uh, that's going to be coming out once a week starting in January of 2022. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to sell your email address to anybody. All we're going to do is basically fill you in on the latest and greatest from sleep science from all over the planet, the stuff that's caught my attention and I think maybe you should be aware of too. You sign up for the snoozeletter and that gets you entered into the random draw for three copies of Diane Macedo's brand new book, The Sleep Fix. Speaking of Diane Macedo, Here she is. So Diane, I'm gonna start you out with the very same first question that everybody who's ever been on the show gets, whether you are uh, the keyboard player for a rock and roll band or (laughs) an astronaut or a neuroscientist, they get the same question, how'd you sleep last night? I was prepared to answer this one with a badly because I have an infant at home, but actually, I slept very well last night. Our girl is finally sleeping through the night, so I almost don't wanna say it out loud, but I'm very Jinx. happy to say I finally got a good night's sleep for the first time in a while. Okay, wait, how old is your little one? Two months. And she's sleeping through the night at two months? She's sleeping through the night at two months. How did you pull that off? See how good my sleep tips are, Neil? They even right? work on two-month-olds. Read the first draft of the sleep fix is what happened, the two-month-old. <laughs> I read it to her and that put her out. Nice. Nice. So did she just stumble upon it? Did you have a strategy? Did you have a Paul and Jamie Buckman in that episode of Mad About You night spent outside a door? (laughs) Like Uh, Option A, B, and C. Um, No, there was a strategy behind it. Uh, A very wise uh, fellow mom told me back when I had my son, you know, it's all about the feeding schedule. If you can get them on an eating schedule, the sleep schedule follows. Um, and we sort of loosely followed um, the 12 by 12 method, which is a very popular 
um, book, and uh, both of my kids were sleeping actually before the 12-week mark in the book. So, I, again, I almost don't want to say it out loud, but... Yeah, yeah, because you never want to throw off that delicate balance, right? <laughs> Talking about um, very popular books, um, The Sleep Fix is not out yet, as you and I are having this conversation, but out very soon. And I'm fascinated to see how much you, I mean, obviously over the course of researching the book, you learned a ton, but how terrible a sleeper were you going into that project? Um, awful. Uh, yeah. So much so that I started, I actually spun a narrative, and I think a lot of this has to do with the myth that we all need eight hours of sleep, and I totally bought that. And so I even spun a narrative that I had always had trouble sleeping, and I was a lifelong insomniac, when that actually wasn't true. You know, I was never a good napper, for example, even as a kid, but that just meant I had a lower sleep need than everybody else. It wasn't because I had insomnia, but once I did, for a while, like so many people, I thought, oh, well, this is just, you know, how I'm built. In many ways, you and I have a very similar story because I kind of just always attributed my problems to my crazy news hours uh, and assumed it was something I was just going to have to live with. But when it finally got so bad that I couldn't live with it anymore and Ambien stopped working because I developed a tolerance to sleeping pills, I finally decided, all right, I have to address this and I have to address it for real, not just by you know, popping a pill or trying some other quick fix. And I was really pleasantly surprised once I, you know, started doing what kind of sleep textbooks say as opposed to sleep listicles say, how quickly I got better and how practical some of the things you can do are. And that's kind of what inspired me to write the book because I felt like, why isn't anybody talking about these solutions instead of all the other stuff I had tried that just made me worse? Yeah, I. it sounds like you faced the same kind of disappointment that I faced going into subreddits and Facebook groups where people are talking about their sleep problems and they're like, I'm chugging melatonin like right. it's M&Ms and I can't <laughs> believe it's not making me sleep. And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated too by the way that people like you and and uh, somebody else that uh, works in your town, uh, you know, Don Lemon from CNN, uh, same things where I'll see you both on television late at night and then I'll turn on the TV in the morning and there you are, there Don is, whatever, fresh face mm -hmm. showing up on the morning shows on your various networks. And I think to myself, because I mean, I, you know, was, did radio and TV for 40 years and, and I still marvel at like, I look at like Roker and Roker, you know, gets up at two in the morning or whatever to go and work out and there he is on TV looking, and I, I just think to myself, how do you make the sleep part work? So forgive me if in the sleep fix, this becomes a spoiler where you build up to like the last chapter and you go, here's the big reveal, here's how you fix everything. But if you've got one of those scenarios where it's, okay, I'm, I'm doing stuff late at night and then I get to be on Good Morning America tomorrow, how do you, how do you navigate that? Concealer, a lot of concealer. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's probably That's why I did the radio most... because there's not enough concealer for this face. <laughs> um, well, first off, The Sleep Fix is not that kind of book. There's no spoiler at the end where you finally get all the solutions. I really wanted this book to not be just a bunch of filler with a few little tips. I mean, if anything, the, the reviews that have come out just talk about how dense the book is and how maybe I should have put in chapter summaries because it really is just chock full of 
explanations so you understand why this problem is happening, which I think is really important when it comes to sleep issues, and then the solutions and why they work. And mixing those two things together, I think, is what really creates uh, a, a productive and successful plan to, to attack this problem. Uh, it's interesting, too, that not everything works for every person, at least not so far. Has that been your understanding as well? 100%, which is another common theme in the book, because so many times you just read, you know, top five tips to ensure you fall asleep in five minutes tonight. And it's like, first of all, yeah. you're not supposed to fall asleep in five minutes. Uh, and if right. we set ourselves up with that expectation, we're going to be disappointed and maybe give ourselves insomnia. But second of all, the top 10 tips to sleep are not going to be the same for everybody. It depends on what's keeping you awake. And that can differ dramatically. So, you know, you're asking me about how you adjust to a crazy work schedule, which, you know, by the way, if you love getting sleep and being really well rested, news is not the career to go into. Not your thing. No. Nope. But that nope. being not said, you know, even when I worked the, I was working the overnight shift when I finally kind of hit, you know, rock bottom, quote unquote, and decided, okay, I need to do something about this sleep thing. And when I first started searching for answers, the the only one I really got was, oh, well, you're going to have to quit your job. You need a, you need <laughs> to find a job where you don't have to work overnights. But I loved everything else about my job. And I just thought, well, a lot of people work overnights. Does that mean we all have to quit our jobs? You know, is every right. surgeon who's operating in the middle of the night going to quit their job? And then if you need surgery at 3 a.m., well, sorry, you're out of luck. I mean, that's just not realistic. Yeah, so yeah they I got you of, open on the table and all of a sudden the surgeon uh, goes, sorry. oh, geez, sorry, I got to go. It's nap time. Bed Can somebody time. else close for me? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of set out on this quest to find... You know, maybe it's not the perfect solution. Maybe the perfect solution for you would be to work better hours. But let's find the practical, the real solution. What's going to work in your real everyday life? And for me, that includes a crazy news schedule. And what I found is when I was working those hours, my hours are a little more normal now. Um, so anything related to circadian rhythm, which is, you know, your biological clock that sends you sleep and wake signals at specific times of the day, regardless of whether or not you slept, that for me, I knew was a big barrier to my sleep because I was definitely trying to sleep when I was supposed to be awake and trying to be awake when I was supposed to sleep. So adjustments like when I was exposed to light and when I was exposed to darkness, what time I was eating, uh, what time I was exercising, and even the proper use of melatonin, which I didn't actually incorporate melatonin into my own uh, routine, but it can be used well in that context if you know how to use it. And so I kind of knew that that was going to be a good starting point for me because I knew that my circadian rhythm was going to be at least part of the recipe of problems that were keeping me awake. And also just managing, you know, the textbook insomnia aspect of it, which was the anxiety that I was feeling about not sleeping. I'm not generally sure. an anxious person. And I think a lot of people, when they hear insomnia is associated, you know, with anxiety and stress and whatnot, they think, well, I'm not really a stressed out kind of person. I don't get anxious easily. So that's not my problem. I I don't think anyone who knows me would describe me as generally an anxious person. But when I started reading some of these textbook descriptions of what insomnia really is and how the more worried you get about your sleep, the less you sleep, the less you sleep, the more worried you get about your sleep and so on, I realized, oh, yeah. God, I am doing that. And once I took really simple measures to address that, everything kind of started changing in the right direction. And that just turns the temperature down on all of those thoughts that run through your head when you're trying to sleep. 
And I just found it started a really positive cycle. I was in this downward spiral and it all just kind of started to reverse where sleep improvements started leading to more sleep improvements. And so even though I'm a bad napper and I, I still am a bad napper, I think I need a pretty high uh, sleep drive in order to be able to sleep during the day. I nap much more easily than I used to before. So if I have a really rough day, like what you know, you're describing, I've had days where I, I you know, I literally worked for 26 or 27 hours straight between the travel. Um, or if I have a, a late night appearance and I have to be back, you know, for GMA at four o'clock in the morning, I obviously can't be getting that much sleep because it's physically impossible. But now, because I've done all these things, when I go home and I lay down to try to get a good nap in to make up for it, I can do that. And that's kind of the key. Yeah, bad napper has always been a thing for me as well. But I mean, you talk about what it is that's keeping you awake. And uh, uh, one of the things that I, I picked up from my sleep doc, and I'm still trying to research exactly what the science says about this. Uh, my sleep doctor suggested that one of my biggest problems, you talk about lifelong insomniac, in my case, that's actually true, um, where I haven't really slept well since about the age of six. And the reason I'm able to narrow in on the age of six, and forgive me for how easily this rolls off my tongue now, simply because I'm, I'm just really comfortable talking about it. Uh, but at the age of six, I was a victim of childhood sexual abuse. Oh, and so... Um, what my sleep doctor says is your brain probably made an association somewhere at the age of six that has been welded to your psyche that bed's not safe. Bed is not a safe place. And so that would explain, for example, my my restless leg syndrome and my periodic limb movement index of 82, where most people have a periodic limb movement index of about 10. That's how many times you kick or move your arms or whatever uh, in your sleep. Well, for me, it's an 82. Anything over 15 is considered serious and you need to get attention for that. But one of the theories that we're apparently working on right now is that the reason it got as high as an 82 is because I was reliving maybe incidents in my dreams and acting out self-defense or something like that. So it's completely different for everyone in terms of what the problem is. And that means that the solution is different for everyone. One of the fascinating things for me in doing this series is not only in talking to the sleep scientists, because I could geek out all day on this stuff. Like, I love this. But it's talking to the celebrities. It's talking to people who've been on the show, like uh, Stacey Plaskett, um, who, who suggested uh, lavender bath salts, bourbon, and sex as uh, <laughs> good things to help you sleep. I like that. Um, I got to rewrite the book now. Right? Uh, which I, I, I thought was kind of ballsy for a congresswoman to say, but there you go. Um, you know, uh, Lawrence Gowan from Styx, who swears by his yoga practice as being the thing that allows him to sleep. All these various people who've come up with their, for lack of a better term, hack. And I have the same disdain for the term sleep hack that I know you do because so many of those lists of sleep hacks that you talked about mm -hmm. invariably include, well, you have to get a uh, 3,000 thread count pillowcase, and I happen to have a link for one right here on my website. And you just think, yeah, no, that's not really going to no. fix my problem. Or no, you think it is going to fix your problem. You buy the $3,000 pillowcase, and then you get home, and then you just think, oh, well, I really am broken because this really expensive <laughs> pillowcase 
didn't help me sleep. So for you, I mean, there must, you talk about tonight being the, or last night being the first time in a while that you've gotten a good <laughs> night's rest. So on those nights where sleep has to show up and doesn't, is there a, for lack of a better term, again, hack that you lean on? Is there something that you know if you do this thing, it will work? I really don't mind. I really don't mind hacks, but I think it all has to be put into context. There are certain things that are quick, try this, it'll help you for now. And maybe if you do it for long enough, it will address the underlying problem. Or maybe there are some other things you have to do to actually address the underlying problem where the quick fix, sure. you know, popping a pill is probably the best hack. You, you know, pop a good sleeping pill and you're out, but you didn't actually fix the problem. And that's only going right. to help you for so long, right? Um, interesting fun fact, the title of the book originally was Insomni Hacks, but I changed oh. it for exactly the reasons you're describing. By the time I finished writing this book, it was so much more than a book full of hacks that it was actually Dan Harris who said, I think you need to change the title because you're not accurately portraying the quality of what's actually in this book. And so I changed it to The Sleep Fix. Um, yeah, and, and there are so many different, you, you invoke Dan Harris. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about meditation on the show as well. And, and um, people who've been watching the show or listening to the show since the beginning know I'm a fan of Dan's 10% uh, Happier. And one of the things that was helping me in the early stages of this journey was the sleep meditations that he's got on his uh, website and app and things like that. And there now are tons of those. And it's like, here, if you want to sleep. The, one of the big problems that I have with all of the hacks that are out there, and I'm using hack kind of in a pejorative, and... Um, that's sort of with, with intent because I think of the ones where there's a, inevitably a product purchase involved. You know, it's, it's oh, you'll get the best sleep of your life if you just get this mattress. You'll get yeah. the best sleep of your life. And they use that phraseology too, which is one of the reasons, I mean, I reached out to the, to the FTC and I said to them, do you not have concerns about sort of these snake oil people who are out there saying, buy my product and I guarantee you'll get the best sleep of your life? Because then if it doesn't work, as most things don't for most people, then what do you do? You've spent money on something that didn't work for you. What are you going to do with that? Uh, but, but even the FTC is like... Sleep's not really a thing we get into. And yeah. and I think that's true for so many of us. We think that just because when I get tired enough, you know, thank you, Bon Jovi, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That was not helpful. Um, I, I think we all just kind of assume when I'm tired enough, sleep will show up for me. I, you know, and in some ways, if we did just make that assumption and surrender to that fully, it probably would, but we don't. We, we think that maybe, but then we actually do all these other things to try to fix our sleep and it ends up making things worse. So yeah. if we can, I want to go back um, to, we have a lot to unpack here, and I want to go back to, to your experience because first of all, I'm so sorry that, that that happened to you and it makes perfect sense to me why that would lead to lifelong insomnia in, in your dis yeah. description because... For you, bed became a place that was a threat. And at the heart of it, the arousal that keeps us awake at night, if insomnia is, is your problem, is essentially your fight or flight response, right? Sometimes it's dialed a little bit lower, sometimes it's dialed really high, but that's basically what's happening. All of your senses get heightened. Your heart starts racing, your eyes, uh, your pupils dilate to take in more light, your ears 
all of your senses become more, more sensitive. You'll start hearing more carefully and so on. This is what our body does when we think we're in danger and we want to be alert and ready for anything. But it's not a great scenario to be in when you're trying to sleep. And so yeah. the objective of a lot of, of, what's, um, of what you're asking is to kind of lower the temperature on that, to turn the volume down on, on all of that. And what, what, in your case, it's a very clear example of what that stems from. But I think for most insomniacs, it's much more subtle and we might not realize it, but I think the best way to put it, it's the threat of wakefulness. If this happens for a long enough period of time, you're so afraid of being awake at night that that becomes the threat that you fear. And so your yep. body goes into, you know, just the way it does face any other threat. It triggers your fight or flight response. So you're ready to do battle with wakefulness in the middle of the night. You can see how that becomes a problem. And so one of my the most basic tips is learn to enjoy your awake time. Instead of trying to fill it, you know, a lot of people will give you advice like read the phone book or read an, an instruction manual. I say no. And a lot of the sleep conditions I've spoke to say the same. That's not great advice because even if the first time you read the phone book, it does help you to fall asleep because it's so boring. Now you have something else to worry about when you're falling asleep the next night because you think, well, I really have to fall asleep now because if not, I'm going to have to read the effing phone book again. And that really is not helpful at all. No. So, no. so you know, and, and you're talking about how everybody has these kind of different solutions. Some people say, you know, it's their lavender pillow and their bourbon and their sex. Other people, you know, say meditation or whatnot. It's really anything that will put you in that frame of mind, minus maybe the bourbon, because alcohol has its own negative impacts on sleep. We can get into that later. But anything yeah. that's going to turn the temperature down, get you to relax, unwind, and stop thinking so much about your sleep gets an A for me, as long as it's not maybe like bright light or anything that's outright going to damage your sleep. But most insomniacs don't have this profile of terrible sleep habits like most people think. It's the opposite. Most insomniacs go to get treated. They have, they say they have, you know, perfect sleep habits. They have the perfect bedtime routine. And in fact, sleep conditions tell me that to them is a red flag. The second they hear someone say, I have a perfect bedtime routine. I'm doing all the right things. I don't look at screens for two hours before bedtime. They immediately know this person has insomnia because you're trying mm -hmm. too hard. So my long answer to your short question is my hack, quote unquote, if if you have a bad night and you, you know, either you wake up in the night and you can't fall back asleep or you can't fall back asleep when you first try to lay down is uh, something called constructive worry, which I kind of like to sum it up as a worry list or a brain dump. And it's super simple. Yeah. You just take a notebook, you divide a page down the center or use one page in the other. And on the left-hand side, just write down anything that's on your mind, anything that's bugging you. It could be something you have to do, a to-do list. It could be an idea that you have suddenly for, you know, what your next podcast is going to be or, or so on. Or maybe you're feeling really sad about something and or you're, you know, you're worried you might get sick because your friend just got sick or something. Write it all down left-hand side of the page, right-hand side of the page, you write down the very next step to fixing that problem. It doesn't need to be the ultimate solution, just the next thing you can do to address it. And maybe it's as simple as calling someone who knows more about that topic than you do. Or it could be, you know, researching the subject. If it's a, a hypothetical or something that's out of your control, something you can't fix at all, then the idea, then you have to accept and move on. That's the solution. Write that down. And when you're done, with this whole exercise, you can't think of anything else that's really weighing on your mind. The exercise is over. Put the notebook away, shove it in your nightstand, go to sleep. 
whenever you do that. One, the reason why we get those repetitive thoughts in bed is our brain's just trying to remember it. The same way if someone gave you a phone number and you couldn't write it down and you were trying to remember it, 555 we repeat it to ourselves. It's the natural way we remember things. So some of it is just our brain trying to remind us to deal with these things. So you think about the same thing over and over again. Also, many of us are all go, go, go during the day. And so we don't really give ourselves the chance to reflect on what happened during the day. So constructive worry gives us that opportunity in a place that isn't our bed. So that also divorces the big cause of insomnia, which is your brain, if you spend enough time awake and worried in bed, starts to associate bed as the place where we stay awake and worried. And then bed becomes a cue for wakefulness instead of a cue for sleep, which is why you might doze off on the couch and two minutes later you go to bed and suddenly you're wide awake. It's because your brain's like, oh, this is the place where we stay awake and worried. Let's go ahead and do that. So doing constructive worry, making this worry list before you go to bed forms this new association where your brain tells you, oh, this is the place where we stay awake and worry, not when my head hits the pillow. And usually doing this for like two to three weeks, your brain just automatically gets the message and you no longer need that notebook anymore. Have you become, because as soon as we were talking earlier about uh, uh, lavender and bourbon and sex and you, you paused on the bourbon one for a second and it led me to wonder, have you become that person yet who... Um, correct everybody you know when they start talking about their horrific sleep habits because one of the things that was said to me very early on and I don't know that anybody's told you this yet but let me be the first if they haven't (laughs) you Diane know more about sleep than most doctors do Um, and that's not because there's anything wrong with doctors it's because I've been and I've been told this by so many clinicians and researchers and everybody else they tell me that in med school you spend I had one person boil it down he said we spent about seven minutes on sleep in med school and six and a half of the seven minutes was spent talking about sleep apnea he says so Asking your your GP, asking your family doctor about how to fix your sleep is a lot like asking them how to lose weight because they don't study nutrition and exercise physiology unless they specialize in it. Most doctors only know to tell you eat less, exercise more. And so it's why uh, Linnell Schneeberg from Connecticut Children's Medical Center uh, and associate uh, professor at Yale as well, she refers to melatonin as vitamin M because it's handed out by GPs because it's one of the only things they know to fall back on. So given this idea that now, based on what the doctors tell me, you know more than the average GP does about sleep, have you become that person that kind of, you know, advises on the fly? Do you, will you be in a conversation like at Thanksgiving with the family and somebody complains about their sleep and you go, what's the bourbon? The bourbon's the problem. You got to stop the bourbon. (laughs) Do you do that yet? So the the short answer is only if I'm asked. I try not mm-hmm. to give unsolicited advice because I know how annoying that can be. And so even if I know the answer, at this point, if you're close enough to me to be having this conversation, you probably are having it because you know that I've done a lot of work in this area. So if somebody's asking me because they want my advice, great. If someone's just bringing it up in general dinner conversation and they're not looking for me to give them the advice, then no, I'm not going to tell them to put the bourbon away. Uh, and also, I still enjoy, you know, a cocktail or two every now and then. It's I'm not I'm not also that person that needs to do everything by the book. Um, right. But in to your point, and I talk about this in the sleep fix. 
you're talking about, you know, seven minutes in all of med school. That's one example and a, and, a, and a good one. But the average in the latest estimate is two hours. In four years of med school, all four-year med schools, they, the average is two hours on sleep. Yep. And so it was actually yep. a primary care physician who encouraged me to write this book when I told her that I had the idea because she said, I desperately need this both so that I can advise my patients and I know certain things to look out for, but also so I can recommend it to my patients because I'm not equipped to treat them. And doctors now, PCPs, primary care physicians, have to, you know, it's in and out. They're forced to treat patients in like 15 minutes. And it's interesting that you say that the, the majority of those seven minutes were spent on sleep apnea because sleep apnea is a pretty straightforward physical condition. Your airway's blocked. We need to unblock it. End of story. When you talk about something like insomnia or restless leg syndrome, it gets a little more complicated. There are, there are biological things going on. There are physiological things going on. There are psychological things going on. And you, you really have to unpack that. And primary care physicians know, know um, you know, I'm not saying this as a negative thing, but they're just not equipped to do it the same way they're not equipped to fix your dishwasher. So sure. I, I do discuss this in the book um, because I think it's, it's something that people need to realize when they go to their PCP or their pediatrician, mind you, because you talk about vitamin M. I know so many pediatricians that give out melatonin to kids like candy. They're, they're really, they're, that's not the best person to be asking advice for. And my story is so typical where I went to my PCP, among other things, I complained about sleep and she prescribed Ambien and convinced me to take it. And I did, and for a while it worked like magic. And then it stopped sure. working. And suddenly I had a, you know, a dependency on a sleeping pill and that, that just made my whole situation even worse than it already was. And so, and that's not atypical, that is the common experience. So. I wanted people to know, A, that there are real solutions out there, and B, they may not be what your PCP is recommending. So if you are taking any substance to help you sleep, whether it's prescription, over-the-counter, booze, weed, you name it, you should consult a sleep specialist to find out if that's the right thing for you, and preferably a sleep specialist who specializes in your condition. Because if you go to a doctor who knows everything and anything about sleep apnea, they may still know very little about insomnia. Sure, because if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I mean, my mom yeah. found out she had restless leg syndrome by reading the first draft of my book because she had always described herself as an insomniac. Well, not even an insomniac once I explained to her what insomnia was. But when she read the, the chapter or the section on restless leg syndrome, she said, oh, wait, I, I think I have this. And I said, have you gone to your doctor about it? And she said, yes, twice over the you know, past few years. They scanned my leg for blood clots. And they sent me home with a diagnosis of your leg is fine. But of course, if you mm. have restless leg syndrome, you know, a blood clot is not the cause and you're not going to find anything in a scan. And so if her doctor knew a little bit more about sleep, her doctor would have picked up the red flags and let her know, oh, this sounds like restless leg syndrome. Let me refer you to a sleep specialist. But her doctor, like so many, didn't even know enough to detect the red flags the same way my doctor didn't know enough to detect my red flags when I reported them. So what do you think needs to change then in terms of, because some of the conversations I've had with people, and it might be different, you're on one side of an international border, I'm on the other, um, where here, if you're lucky enough to be able to uh, have a doctor that immediately says, okay, this is beyond the scope of 
my expertise, you need to go to a sleep lab, um, then here that's generally covered by insurance. You know, mm -hmm. that that supposedly free Canadian healthcare that everybody loves so much. Um, but I've, I've talked to a lot of American friends who say, First of all, even even if my doctor did want to send me to a sleep lab, my insurance doesn't go anywhere near it, um, and and they're prohibitively expensive. So, where do we change what might be a systemic problem? Because there are so many. Because everybody sleeps eventually, but about the last numbers that I read on it seem to suggest that about a third of those people at some point or another have a problem doing it. So what needs to change for us to take better care of that other third? A lot is <laughs> the short answer. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons why I wrote this book is to kind of give an easy, talk about hacks, an easy, quick solution to that at least. You know, if I can get more and more people to read what's in there, at least you can have PCPs out there who know the red flags to look out for. And and if you can continue to forward this message of how important sleep is and, and so on, and how common and subtle these sleep issues can be, because that's that was also part of my mission. I think there's a lot out there about, you know, how important sleep is as a pillar of our health, but I don't think many people realize how common things like sleep apnea insomnia, but also restless leg syndrome, PLMD, which you talked about, periodic limb movement disorder, narcolepsy. We think of narcolepsy as, you know, someone falling asleep in their soup at the dinner table. There are a lot of people walking around with narcolepsy. They have no idea they have it because typical narcolepsy doesn't look like that. It's someone falling asleep in the waiting room, you know, which a lot of people do and think is completely normal. So I think my hope is that I can at least do my tiny part there by kind of spreading the word about what these problems look like, how common they are, and how, in some cases, how easy they can be to fix if you use the right tools. And what's happening to many people is they have sleep apnea, let's say, and they go to their doctor and they complain that they're waking up a lot throughout the night. And the doctor hears that and thinks insomnia and A, doesn't know that that's also a red flag for sleep apnea, and B, doesn't actually know how to treat insomnia, and they prescribe a sleeping pill. That sleeping pill makes that person's sleep apnea worse. And now you have a really dangerous condition that not only is impacting sleep, but sleep apnea is a great example where it impacts everything from your blood pressure to your heart rate. I mean, you name it. And so you are now laying the groundwork for that person to have lots and lots of other health complications down the line. And as someone whose father went for probably decades with untreated sleep apnea, my dad, we've seen such a transformation in him since he started getting treated probably about 10 years ago. But he did have a nearly fatal stroke two years ago. And thank God he's recovered from that. But I can't help but think that those decades of untreated sleep apnea contributed to the heart condition he had he now has the high blood pressure he had now has and so on and so if you're an insurance company and you want to save money on this patient in the long run the best thing you can do is try to address the sleep problems and address them early and if that means spending a little more to send someone to a sleep study that's going to save you so much more money in the long run in all of the different health treatments this person's going to need down the line if they don't address this problem now so my hope is to also be able to get that message out there and that the sleep fix will help do that so that even on the corporate side, insurance companies and, and, you know, and people's employers realize how valuable it is 
to create good environments for people to be able to get good sleep because they'll be better workers, they'll be in better health, and we'll all be better for it. One of the things that I'm very conscious of was going on a few years back now, sadly, was that sleep was well on its way to be being officially declared sort of the next global health crisis until COVID said, hold my beer, <laughs> you know, and, and then everything that wasn't COVID related kind of dropped off the radar. Um, I, a sleep doctor who's been a guest on this show twice now, and I know you know him, uh, Dr. Chris Winter, uh, mm -hmm. I remember him uh, saying something on Twitter one day where I was asking a question about sleep and it was right as COVID was beginning to spike. And even Chris, who makes his living off of people's sleep problems, he responded in a tweet by saying, you know what? I don't even think anybody is thinking about sleep at all right now because it COVID blew everything off the front mm -hmm. page. And so, and it's just been so interesting as people started setting up work from home desks, you know, and all those kinds of things that may now be part of people's lives going forward. And then there was the inevitable conversation about, well, if you really want to nail the work from home desk, put it by a window where you get lots of sunlight because that will help you maintain your circadian rhythms. Don't uh, fall into the trap of, I'm gonna shove it into the basement now because I've got a whole bunch of unused space in the basement. Well, you might as well go into a cave and then you know just kind of throw your circadian rhythms right. like they were dice in Vegas or something. You know, it, So it, it redefined so much. And then even the idea that you want your vaccine to work better, fix your sleep problem because that will help that as well. So you're absolutely right when we talk about insurance and all these other things where if we would just address sleep, so much stuff would get fixed, which is why I'm going to make sure that the sleep fix is among the things now that I heartily recommend to people who are having sleep issues because they're tired of listening to me. So I'm just <laughs> going to say, here, all that. the answers you need are right here. Diane, I am so grateful that you had time for this. And I have a sense that you and I could go on for like an hour Probably. talking about all the other bits and pieces of this. But um, I, I know you got a, a two month old to uh, attend to, but I do have one not, well, it's kind of sleep related question for you about the two month old. Do you sing her to sleep? And if you do, what's the song? I sing both of my kids to sleep because I have a three-year-old as well. And so the three-year-old gets to pick the song. And for a while it was Wheels on the Bus and then it was Mary Had a Little Lamb. However, ever since 4th of July, it is now Firework by Katy Perry. And so every sure. night, we end our night with Firework by Katy Perry, which is A-OK -okay with me. Yep, you know, uh, because I I sing as well, not nearly as well as you do. Um, but for me, with uh, both my daughters, the song of choice was uh, Frank Sinatra's Just the Way You Look Tonight. Oh, I um, love that. And one of the reasons they liked it was, you know, the line in the song uh, with your smile so warm and your cheeks so soft. And every time we would get to the cheeks so soft part, they would, you know, either tickle my cheeks or I would, you know, tickle theirs or whatever. And, then, and that laugh that wrinkles your nose and we'd boop our noses. It was just, it's just fun. But I wanted to see that because, you know, I imagine pop singers and, and superstars who sing for a living. And I mean, the pressure is on there. It's like, what are you going to sing to your kid? You know, because... You, you better bring it every single time, you know? I'm like a DJ. I take their requests. Nice. Well done. Well, thanks for taking the request to come on this show. Uh, Diane, oh, I appreciate pleasure. it. And I, I can't recommend the book strongly enough, um, but we'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Thanks, Diane. Thank you, Neil. Sweet dreams. <laughs> 
thesnoozebutton.com slash contests if you want details on how to win a copy of Diane's brand new book, The Sleep Fix. It's waiting for you on our website at thesnoozebutton.com and also in the show notes for this episode. So get in there. You got to get your entry in before, I want to say it's 12 noon next Monday. So uh, we'll be able to announce the winners on next week's episode of The Snooze Button that features a four-person panel talking about whether or not sex is good as a sleep aid. Plus, we'll talk to a researcher in Australia who is actually studying that very question. And to wrap up the year on December the 28th, Lawrence Gowan, the keyboard player and one of the front men for the legendary rock band Styx, talking about how he sleeps better on the tour bus than he does in the hotels when the guys are on the road. What he tributes his sleep hack to and the thing that he swears by to help him fall asleep at night, why Styx isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet, and what you need to do if you are a rock star that's getting on in years to try and stay a step ahead of the young guns that are out there. That's coming up on December the 28th. Until we get together again next week, my name's Neil. Hey, get some sleep, would you?